And welcome to episode 77 of the Lace em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Zuboff. Uh Just a quick housekeeping note before we get underway. Hopefully uh, you'll notice that I don't sound like I'm talking from somewhere in the middle of the ocean. Uh, that's because I uh, upgraded my mic thanks to uh, Brian Lilly, uh, the host uh, of the show Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFR in Ottawa. Um, he was kind enough uh, to uh, supply me with this mic and uh, gratefully appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Now you can listen to his show 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Monday to Friday on uh, CFRA.com anytime. Nice um, plug. <laughs> but on with the show here. Um, Brett, do you have a few words? No, I was just saying that was a nice plug there. Yes, yes. Very casually put that in there. Yeah. Uh, so getting on to our show, uh, the pens and cents at the time of recording this are tied at two. What happens next? Uh, the Preds could eliminate the Ducks if they win uh, Game 6 or Game 7, if it gets that far. Um, can the Ducks complete the comeback? And uh, in rapid-fire news, Tampa Bay, uh, former Tampa Bay goalie Ben Bishop, uh, has a new contract. He signed a six-year deal with the Dallas Stars. Is this good or bad, and for who? Uh, also going to be talking about uh, the Memorial Cup, which has already kicked off. And uh, also, maybe the beginning of the end for Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe in San Jose. We'll debate and discuss that. But first, shout-outs to all the players past and present who have worn number 77 in the NHL. There are a lot of talented people on this list, I just realized. Uh, Raymond Bork, obviously, um, in the later years uh, when uh, Phyllis Fazio's number 7 was retired by the Bruins, he switched over to number 77. He's probably the more recognizable one of the more recognizable players on this list. Paul Coffey wore number 77, uh, as did Jeff Carter when he came to the Kings in 2012. Uh, believe it or not, in five seasons with the Rangers, speaking of Phil Esposito, he wore number 77, which is interesting. Uh, Victor Hedman obviously wears number 77 with the Tampa Bay Lightning, as does Oscar Kleffbaum with the Edmonton Oilers, and TJ Oshie since he joined uh, the Washington uh, Capitals. Um, as far as veterans from way before our time, we have Chris Gratton on this list, Cliff Ronning from 97 to 99 in 2004. He wore number 77, as did Pierre Turgeon, uh, Anston Carter in 06 and 07, and regrettably, Matthew Barnaby in 2007. So to all of them and to all the players we did not mention, this podcast is for you. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. All right. So um, on another uh, house cleaning news, uh, we uh, were a part of the Fantrax network uh, today. I think it sh- this sh- so this, it shouldn't affect you if you've been listening to this on iTunes and you're subscribed on iTunes, but. Um, it's also, we're going to be marketed by Fantrax a bit, so um, look forward to that. Um, yeah, uh, let's get going on the news, though. Uh, Penguins and Sens are a tie, um, so let's go with the two series. We're first going to talk about the Penguins and the Sens. Um, they're tied 2-2 at the moment. Game 5 is later today. 
um, if you're hearing this on Monday, uh, Game 5 hasn't played yet. But um, Yeah, we're recording this. It's 107 right now as I'm talking in the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, May yep. 21st. Uh, 3 p.m. puck drop, Game 5, Suns and Pens. Yeah, we'll have to... We'll have to go quickly so Steve can watch. Um, <laughs> Pens, uh, so the Penguins uh, in game, I guess the big news here, I mean, we could go recap the entire game, but uh, the entire series, but in game three, the Senators had like four unanswered goals in uh, game four, I mean, in game three, um, and they ended at 5-1. Um, this was kind of the end of Marc-Andre Fleury here. Um, and then in Game Four, the Penguins made the switch to Matt Murray, um, and the Penguins uh, actually won the game. Uh, some some interesting facts here: the Penguins have uh, five goals in this entire series, and the the three goal and three of those goals were in Game Four, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it looks like Sidney Crosby may actually have a concussion. Um, we're not entirely sure, um, you know, a hundred percent if he does, but you know, there was like, I think there was a moment where he was, uh, he went to the boards, um, but he's still playing somehow. He got a goal in game four, um, and an assist. So I'm not going to try to say like, um, that he's not like, he may still be healthy and whatnot, but um, there was some controversy about that where he was avoiding concussion protocol, or the Penguins were avoiding concussion protocol here. But anyways, the Penguins uh, aren't scoring as much as they used to or that we're used, expecting them of doing. Um, it's Craig Anderson's birthday today. Um, so I don't know. Do you think making Murray is the right choice? Will this be enough for the Penguins? Well, just taking a look at the Sens-Pens rivalry in general, this is the fifth time they've squared off in uh, Stanley Cup playoff history. In 07, they met for the first time. Ottawa won in five. Since then, the Pens have won three series in a row. 2008, they swept Ottawa. 2010, they beat them in six. 2013, they beat them in five. Uh, oddly enough, in 42 career minutes against Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, heading into the series, Crosby has never scored. Uh, in three regular season games against Ottawa, he only scored one goal. And uh, Pajot, oddly enough, 22-10 and 10 versus Sydney in the face-off dot in the final two head-to-head meetings of the regular season. Uh, in these playoffs, the Penguins have given up an average of 35.3 shots per game prior to the start of this series. In round two, Ottawa gave up the first goal in five of six. They didn't strike first until game six of their series against the Rangers. Um, so heading into this series, uh, you know, on the one hand, Ottawa... On, on the one hand, Ottawa had a shot of really taking advantage of Pittsburgh. On the other hand, Pittsburgh had a shot of taking advantage of Ottawa. So it was pretty yeah. even keel. Um, and while the shot clock wasn't all that one-sided in game one, the Sens outshot Pittsburgh 31-13 to in five-on-five play, which is staggering to me. Um, Pittsburgh, although, had five power plays to work with and four in the opening 20 minutes. So that's... Probably the one thing that concerns me is, you know, if you give Pittsburgh too many chances to work with on the power play, you know, at some point they're going to make you pay. But the one thing Ottawa did so well, and this is starting to frustrate Pittsburgh at this point, 
Pittsburgh really had trouble getting beyond the neutral zone for most of the game. That disrupted that disrupted their ability to generate any kind of offensive momentum. And the Sens, to their credit, were very opportunistic. They were able to take it to overtime, and Bobby Ryan won it for them. Uh, game two, Fanuf was hitting everything that moved. And even though Kessel was able to score the winner for Pittsburgh, again, frustration was starting to mount. You saw Malkin on the bench. You saw Kessel on the bench. Both were animated. Both were just puzzled. You yeah, yeah. know, it, it looked like uh, they were they were really, really rattled. And then you look at uh, Evgeny Malkin and his antics at the end of game two with Kyle Turris there. Like, he's, he's just stirring stuff up and uh, – and, and he's not scoring, he's not doing anything, he's resorting to those tactics. So Ottawa at that point was really frustrating Pittsburgh. And then, of course, you had that uh, four-goal outburst that chased Flory from the net. So the game four, the decision in game four um, to go with Matt Murray, I think, was the right one, and not because Flory was playing particularly bad. The fact of the matter is Pittsburgh scored three times in the first three games. You need to have something going your way. And Pittsburgh had nothing going for them. They needed a shot of adrenaline. And I think the decision to go to Matt Murray was the right one for Mike Sullivan. And they won game four to their credit. They were able to get some big saves from Murray at at the beginning of things. And uh, they were able to give him a lead late in the first. They built on it in the second. And they were able to hang on for a 3-2 win. But um, the the fact that Pittsburgh was so frazzled, especially in the first two or three games... um, I don't. I don't think Mike Sullivan had much of a choice. I think he had to go to Matt Murray. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he had much of a choice. It is kind of unfortunate because Flurry has been playing so well in these playoffs, and it kind of stinks. It kind of yeah. stinks that just because he didn't do well, like in one period, uh, that means that his playoffs are basically over. Assuming Matt Murray uh, can, you know, uh, continues to, you know, gets the starting role, um, but. Um, you know, or, or assuming the, uh, I should say, I assume the Matt Murray, you know, uh, the Penguins make it into the Stanley Cup and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I think it, I think you're right. It is the correct choice. It has to, uh, you know, Matt Murray was their starter the entire, you know, the entire regular season. He played better than Flurry in the regular season as well. So, um, Fleury, I was just looking here. Flurry had like a nine oh eight save percentage in uh, in the regular season, which is a GAA over three as well. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, don't quote us on this, but um, like it, it's one of those. So, it, like you know, it was bound to happen. Where Matt, it's kind of like a miracle that he was able to make like beat the Capitals. And the Blue Jackets, which are two very, very good teams. Um, with that being said, so um, yeah, I think this is the right choice. Um, however, you know, now the the Penguins have to win two more games. Um, it's really, I mean, it wasn't really the um, goaltending issue. Goaltending wasn't really the issue. It was always the offense because uh, you know you need to get better than five goals in these four games. Um, especially if you're the Penguins, because you have Malkin, Crosby, uh, Kessel, um, and you know they've only gotten five goals in the last three games, and three of those goals were in, in Game Four. So it's uh, I, I think the offense just has to get going for them um, in order for them to succeed. 
Um, also, uh, Justin Schultz, oh, he had a 909 save percentage and a 3.02 GAA um, in the regular season flurry he did. Uh, Justin Schultz, Patrick Hornquist, and Brian Rust are all out as well with an upper body. If the Penguins, Penguins injuries can't get any worse. Um, should we do predictions? Also, uh, Chad, Chad uh, Ruedel, um was hit by Bobby Ryan. Apparently, I heard from from uh, the grapevine that he has a concussion. Okay. So I don't know even the guy is. coming in to fill in uh, for one of their injured defensemen is injured. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, so yeah, you probably but, spoke too soon there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's fine. It's fine. Uh, Chris Letang also, as we've we've discussed, yeah, he's, 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 not he's been out. Either. So, uh, yeah, the Penguins are injury-riddled. I mean, it could be possible that the Sens could take this over just because of how injury-riddled the Penguins are. It's really just how much is, like, Malkin and Crosby and Kessel, like, can they actually take over a game like we know they can? Um, I think they can, so I'm going to say Penguins in six as my new prediction, but um, I'm sure you're going to say differently. Well, this, um, in order for Ottawa to win this series, they need to be absolutely lights-out stellar as a team, full 60-minute effort the next two games. Because Pittsburgh, I, I think they're going to bring up their best in games five and six. And yeah. if it goes to game seven, they'll definitely be at their best then. Um, just just taking a look at uh, what some of Ottawa's stars um, have been able to do. Uh, Derek Broussard in game four, he was just dynamite. 14-2 and two in the faceoff dot. He drew a pair of penalties. He got four hits, scored a goal, added an assist. Uh, they need another one of those games from big game brass. Uh, Bobby Ryan had some key moments in this series uh, as well. Uh, of course, the overtime winner in game one also oh, yeah. uh, set up a couple of uh, goals as well. Um, that no-look pass to MacArthur to make it 3-1 in game four was just... I don't know how he found him. It was it was just a perfectly designed hockey play and uh, a Bobby Bobby Ryan, I, I've really liked his game in the playoffs. It's just been a real coming of age. Yeah, and, of course, Eric Carlson's going to have to be at his best as well. Uh, but the start of games five and six, Ottawa really needs to come at it. They really need to get Pittsburgh off their game, especially in game five. In front of the, um, inside enemy territory, you know, Pittsburgh's going to have the fans on their side. They need to take the crowd out of it. And um, when they go back home for game six, Ottawa's going to have to keep the crowd energized throughout the game. And the easiest way to do that is score some goals, keep them in a good mood. Um, but, yeah, the, Ottawa really needs to own the next two games. And the key thing is two things in order for Ottawa to win. They can't have an offensive breakdown. And their power play needs to be better. Their power play is, I believe, in an 0-for-25 slump heading into game five, which... Again, I've documented their power play struggles. It's been well documented. Um, I didn't think it was this bad, to be honest, <laughs> but now I do. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is uh, you can't have a long lapse without a shot on goal. In game two, which Ottawa lost, they went 18, close to 19 minutes without a shot on goal. It was around 10 minutes-ish, 9, 10 minutes around there when Ottawa didn't get a shot on goal in game four. So that's two, uh, that's two um, offensive lapses where they haven't had a shot on goal, and in both of the games where they've had it, they've lost. So Ottawa can't afford to have another one of those. Yeah, that's true. I, I've kind of been. I was leaving all the Senators stats to you. I, I, I well, think, yeah, I'm, I'm the Sens fan. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know yeah, if you, you know. Should know this. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the Sens have been impressive. Um, I just think the Penguins, like, it, it, I mean, there is some part of me that thinks like, oh, the Penguins, you know, especially after that game three, where I'm like, oh, I guess the Penguins are just too, um, injury riddled, you know, they have, you know, carry over from last year's playoffs. So there is potential that they just be tired, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, they kind of prove themselves in game four. Um, I could see, I don't know, I could see the Penguins winning six or seven. So um, we'll see. It should be a fun series. I know that there are people who are talking about how the Senators are boring because of this 1-3-1. One, one. Um, I don't know. It, it's. I feel like they're better than people give them credit for. Um, they play a different style for sure. Um, and it's like, you know, it's more like a trap kind of thing that we've seen from the Devils in the early 2000s. But at the same time, it you know, whatever works, works. And um, we'll see if this, I, I'm, I'm really curious if this carries over. Like, let's say the Sens win the Stanley Cup, you know, how it's a copycat league. I wonder if more teams will do this 1-3-1 one, one system. Yeah. We'll see. Well, uh, it, like. At the end of the day, if you told Suns fans this series would be a best of three heading back to Pittsburgh for game yeah. five, that Crosby and Malkin be rattled. The yeah. Pens will only have three goals in the first three games, just six in the first four. A lot of right. people have been very satisfied with that scenario. If we were talking about Kessel, uh, if we were talking about uh, September and October, we're talking about this. You look at Phil Kessel, 16 playoff goals dating back to last year. Hornquist had 13 dating back to last year. Top right. three in playoff goals dating back to last year. One of them appears very frustrated. The other hasn't played since the first two games. Like we said, defense extremely banged up. And there's this belief in the Sens dressing room that this team can go all the way and that they can win this series somehow. And even the Prime Minister of Canada went as far to say Canada should get behind Ottawa, which um, if you ask Montrealers and Torontonians, they'd be like, have you been spoken too much of the marijuana? Because... <laughs> Telling Habs and Leafs fans to cheer for right. the Sens is just like, no, no, right. we won't do it. I never um, thought that. Like, why? Like, it's not like a really a Canada's team. Like, it's not no. like a thing, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm an Ottawa Senators fan. I will admit we're not Canada's team. Like, yeah. the, the whole Canada's team thing, like, it's... Even Montreal and Toronto, like... Like all, we have seven Canadian teams. It's really tough to pinpoint which one is Canada's team. They're yeah. they're all unique in their own way. True. I think all that fuels the fire, though, as opposed to fanning the flame for Ottawa. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that Ottawa's again getting to this Penguins team, that's enough uh, for the players to believe that they can pull this off. Uh, so I'm yeah, I'm I'm hoping the Sens win, obviously. Um, uh, but um, I'm hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. Let's say that. Okay. Uh, let's go to the next series. Uh, the Predators-Ducks. Uh, Preds are up 3-2, so the Preds just have to have one more, um, win one more game to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, this is so far, by far, the best the Preds have done in their franchise history. So much, in fact, that in their 11 playoff wins, the Predators have game-winning goals from 10 different players. Uh, Neil had two of them. Aberg had the last week, uh, you know, uh, yesterday's uh, Game 5's uh, winner. Uh, Johansson, who we'll just talk about in a minute. R- Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Victor Arvidsson, Colton Sissons, Ryan Fiala, who's also injured. 
Kevin Fiala, but yes, Kevin he's Fiala. In there. Uh, Vernon Fiddler and Cody McLeod have the uh, other ones, but uh, I thought that was a cool um, stat there. Um, so just depth is very important for them, especially now considering Ryan Johansson is out for the rest of the playoffs. Uh, Ryan Johansson had 13 points in the 14 playoff games he played. Um, this will have a definite effect on the rest of the series. Mike Fisher, their captain, is also out. Um, the Ducks are also injury-riddled as well, with uh, John Gibson and Ricard Raquel um, were out for Game 5. Gibson played for the first period, but then he was out in the second period. Uh, they're both lower body. I don't know if they'll return um, or how serious it is, but they were they were out for Game 5. And Patrick Eves is also out as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, so a lot of injuries here. I think um, it's, it's this has been an interesting series because I feel like these are two evenly matched teams. They both have a lot of good offensive players, a lot of great defensive players. It's probably like the best defensive uh, core um, in the league with these two teams. But, um yeah, it's been an interesting series. So uh, do you think with all these injuries, how will this affect the rest of the series? Well, it's it's been a very back-and-forth series. I mean, you look at Game yep. 1, Nashville gets on the board first in Game 1 for the third time in these playoffs. They also win Game 1 for the third time in these playoffs uh, on the road again. Um, they also outshot uh, the Ducks 46-29 to in the game. Uh, Anaheim's power play, you, you talk about how bad Ottawa's power play is Anaheim's uh was in the middle of an 0 for 20 slump uh, heading into game two and then you look at game two when tensions really started to escalate which we'll talk about later um but uh, the Ducks were able to get four unanswered goals to win that game so again the ball's in Anaheim's court now um in game three in 11 second span the Preds had two goals waved off they still outshot Anaheim 40 to 20 um and the Ducks had a one nothing lead heading into the third, so the Preds were very resilient in that respect. Um, you look at Game Four, Preds outshot fourteen to two by the Ducks in the opening twenty minutes. They were down two nothing. They battled back. Uh, they were able to tie it, send it to overtime. Unfortunately, Corey Perry ruined everything as he always does, mm-hmm. um, and that also playoff winning streak. It ends at ten games. They're now 6-1 and one at home. Uh, and then, of course, you talk about the two injuries uh, to Anaheim, Gibson, and Raquel. Um, and once again, the Preds did their best to make the Ducks pay. To Pecorino's yep. credit, he had to face 33 shots. He stopped 32 of them. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, um, it's it's going seven games either way because, oh, really? um, uh-huh. An- uh, because Nashville strikes first and Anaheim fights back. Nashville gets um, the upper hand. Anaheim ties it up again. I expect Anaheim to tie it up again in Game Six. It's going to go seven, no matter who wins. Um, well, at the same time, I'm really hope I'm really hoping Nashville pulls it out in Game Six and wins it in front of their hometown fans. That'd be very yeah. nice to see. I was about to say, also, it mostly can't be. because I, I I'm really <laughs> tired of what Anaheim's doing. I'm really tired of Corey Perry. I don't want yeah. him in the finals. I, I was saying I don't. You said it, I think it's going to game seven, no matter who wins. Well, if the Predators win, it goes, yeah. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm interested in how like these Predators lineup like things. It's like you have it uh, looks like Aberg who was replacing Ryan Johansson. 
he looks to be yep. injured. It's just like I, I just give credit to their depth and all those guys because it's like, uh, you know, that Forsberg, Arvidsson, Johansson line was doing so well for them in the beginning of the playoffs and the regular season. And now um, they have this, you know, uh, now they don't have Ryan Johansson, their top centerman, and all the other guys aren't really, like, haven't really shown um, how good they can be in the center line. So it's really going to come down to, um, like, how good Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, James Neal, those guys, Colin Wilson, all those guys, um, and, like, they have to step up and, uh, you know, actually take over games and stuff because they don't have their centermen anymore. Um, or their top yes, yes, they yes they do, and not really because their defense has been so good. I mean, uh, again, you talk about yeah. Johansson's 13 points in 14 games that leads the team. Um, and, yeah, he's out two to three months uh, after a thigh injury, which required season-ending surgery. And you look at his face-off stats, that's probably where you notice yeah. the most impact because he won over 54% of his face-offs, uh, fourth-most face-off wins amongst playoff talents this year, 58.4% successful in neutral zone face-offs. Uh, especially with Mike Fisher out of the lineup for Game 5, he's your second-best center. Um, awfully tough to replace that. But, again... The difference maker is never Nashville's offense simply because they had, you know, guys like Forsberg and Arvidsson who could also take the ball and run with it. True. But you look at uh, uh, Nashville's defense. Um, heading into Game 3, the Ducks had used eight defensemen, scored five goals, and chalked up 29 assists. That's 34 points. That accounts for 34, uh, 30.4% of Anaheim's total points from the back end. Uh, Nashville's got nine goals from six defenders heading into Game 3 to go along with 24 assists and 33 points. Uh, for uh, for any of you that are curious to know, that represents 39.3% of Nashville's total offensive points. So, uh, and on top of that, heading into Game 4, the Preds had scored eight goals in the series. Their defensemen were involved in seven of them. So if, if their defense continues to step it up, I'm not worried one bit about Nashville. I, I, yeah, I mean, that's true. The, the defense is what makes Nashville really good with Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi, PK Subban, and the like, um, Matthias Elkholm. Elkholm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but like at the same time, like, I feel like the forwards have to do their job. They have to, um, they have to step up as well because Ryan Johansson was an important part of their team. And they have to uh, fill that role, and it's going to be a tough loss for them, um, regardless of if they win, if they go into the Stanley Cup Finals, um, and whoever they play, um, you know, it's it's going to be tough for them. But we'll see. I think the Predators will win, end up winning one more game, um, whether that's in six or seven. I'm not sure. I'm going to say six, just just to be different, because I think you're going to say game seven. Um, I don't know who you're picking, though. Um, I'm, I'm rooting for Nashville. It wouldn't surprise me if Anaheim wins, but I'm rooting for Nashville. Uh, what Nashville needs to do, though, is they need to pick their battles because if, I don't know if you noticed, but just like the Sens-Pens, the level of animosity in, yep. between these two non-division rivals is intense right now. Yep. Like They're sparring after the whistles in the same division. Of course, you had the on-ice battle between Kessler and Johansson. Yeah. We've gone for a little longer. Unfortunately, Johansson's now hurt, but 
Yeah. Uh, and then you also saw at later stages of Game 5, Corey Perry getting involved, Ryan Getzlav receiving a $10,000 fine for allegedly using a homophobic slur, even yep. the captains getting a little bit riled up. So either way, the Ducks are going to be a desperate team. And if, you know, if they want to stir stuff up, let them. Let yep. them be stupid. Let them take a penalty. Uh, I'm just saying for Nashville, pick your battles. Because if you keep sparring after the whistle, that, that really... I, I think after them. a while, that's really going to put them in a bind. Yeah, Corey Perry was, like, angry at the ref at the last seconds of the third period in Game 5 as well. So, yeah, this this season, this series is getting very heated. Um, I was going to mention that gets left 10000 uh fine. But, um, yeah, it's something you can't do. I don't know what that was. But um, let's go to the uh, rapid fire for people who don't know uh, our... Our podcast is usually we talk about the main topic, which is some something that like a, the big topic of the week in the NHL. And rapid fire is pretty much everything else. We just briefly mention these uh, news stories. Um, we spend some time on uh, on these news stories. So the first item is uh, Ben Bishop got signed by the Stars. Uh, he had, he got six years, uh, four point nine million annual average value by the Stars. This is kind of a lot because this is—he's a 30-year-old goaltender. I'm not sure what he'll uh, do. Um, you know, I mean, I guess like you're, the stars are going all in on this, but um, he's not going to be the guy that he was in Tampa a couple of years ago um, because just naturally, when you're 30 years old, you know, it kind of um, you tail off a bit, but. Um, so I'll be curious to see. I feel like the years were a bit too long, but um, they had to get it done. So, uh, yeah. What do you think, Steve? Well, um, this this move is in really unfamiliar territory for Bishop. He spent uh, time with the Texas Tornado in 04-05. That's three miles from the Stars practice facility. Um, during off-season workouts, he ran into Ken Hitchcock a, a few times as well in the past. He's now the coach of the Stars, obviously. And he's also, over the last couple of off-seasons, he spent time at the same goalie camp as Curry Lettinen. Uh, so they kind of know each other already as well. And in case you're wondering what happens to Niemi, the plan is to either trade him or buy him out. Uh, so we'll see how that works. Um, I'm not really saying that Bishop can't do well this year because when the Stars won the, with their division in 2015-16, they were in the bottom 10 for Team GAA and Team save percentage like they were this year. Yeah. So, um, I guess even if Bishop plays average, I guess maybe they could still do well. But there there are a lot of things to say that, uh, from a fantasy perspective, that, and from a team perspective, um, in the short term, it it's tough to say you know how good the starts are going to be, even with a guy like Ben Bishop in the net, because this guy last year he was he was averaging close to six million uh, per year. Uh, at first glance, it looks like he takes a bit of a pay cut. Um, but if you look at um, his year-by-year numbers, in year one, this upcoming season, Cap Friendly says he's going to be making a cool $7 million bucks. In the second year, $6.5 million. Third year, $5.5 million. $3.5 million in each of the final three seasons. Um, that could be a steal depending on how good he is at that point. Um, for fantasy owners who have to abide by a cap, this is bad news for the next three years, especially next year with the $7 million. 
uh, especially if you're in a keeper's league as well and the salary cap plays a factor. Yeah. Like, you formulate your team based on skill as much as you can, but the cap's another thing to worry about. And that extra $1 million that Ben is going to be carrying around next year, that can make a huge difference if you're on the cap floor. And you probably got to make at least one or two tweaks to make that work. And for a team that doesn't have a cupboard of prospects, uh, solid prospects at that to help fill any boys, that could be a very troublesome thing. As far as non-keeper leagues go, you just draft a new team every season. I'd be cautious to where I draft him too because years ago, I drafted him in my top five. Yeah. Nowadays, I wouldn't draft him unless it's the eighth or ninth or even the tenth round because – He's inheriting a team that finished second to last in team goals against average and dead last in save percentage. You get him in the middle round and he does well, that's a steal. Yeah. If he fails, you know, you hope you have a better goalie ahead of him that you that you took before him. But it's a mistake for anyone to lean on Ben Bishop this year, in my opinion. Especially considering that they have to re-sign Essel and Dell, yeah. Patrick Nemeth, um, Jamie Oleksiak as well and then you look at Steven Johns he's in the RFA next year at the end of next year Hamus and Patteron are also uh, UFAs um, you know maybe that top three pick helps you out uh, in the long term but in the short term um, Dallas is still hurting defensively yeah the, exactly the Dallas's defense is nothing like Tampa Bay's defense or or LA's or LA's but like he wasn't really in LA for a long time so I, but yeah, it's it's so it'll be I'll be curious to see how much of his like if he's actually that good without that good of a defensive core around him um, as a because Dallas Dallas doesn't have a Victor Hedman it doesn't have a Drew Doughty type so um, we'll see um, it should be interesting though. Yeah, um, and Bishop also said that. Yeah. Um, this uh, walking into this situation in Dallas, he said, similar to the situation he walked into uh, when uh, Tampa got him, which yeah. is an interesting comparison. So um, nice yeah. to see that he's optimistic about the whole thing. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. He wasn't really le- like in Ottawa. He wasn't really, you know, he was just shipped out for Corey Conacher, and then he, uh, you know, no one really expected him to do that well, and then he did do well in Tampa. So I guess it is a similar situation. It's just Tampa has a better defense, so um, yeah. we'll see, though. Uh, GM of the year uh, was announced. Uh, Oilers' Peter Chiarelli, uh, Ottawa's uh, Pierre Dorian, and Nashville's David Poyle. Is it David? I think it's David. Yeah, I'm not even sure in the pronunciation of the last name. I think you got it right, though. Um, I, I just wasn't sure if it's the first name or not. Uh, but <laughs> his... Uh, yeah, it's David. Yeah. Um, I... Th- think it should go to Poyle. He's he's done a pretty good uh, you know, GM's job for uh for the season. Uh you know, he got PK Subban. He did uh I don't think he did too much in the uh, like in the um during the trade deadline, but you know, he's built this core around um which is pretty strong. Um I don't know. I feel like Shirelli's just gotten like I guess Shirelli deserves some credit just because, um, you know, they traded. I don't know even know if he should get credit because you know he traded Taylor Hall to get Adam Larson. Um, it helps somewhat, but it's not like you know you still traded Taylor Hall. Um, and then you also he got lucky in getting Con- Connor McDavid. 
um, although that happened before he uh, became the GM. And then uh, he, uh, you know, the lottery happened before he became the GM. And then, um, you know, it just happens that this is McDavid's first, you know, healthy year um, on the team. So I don't know if he deserves a ton of credit. Uh, Pierre Dorian, uh, I could see that happening where he wins. Uh, You know, he did well in the trade deadline with uh, getting Burroughs and uh, Stahlberg. Um, and trading away some assets for now. Um, but at the same time, I'm not sure if he's necessarily should be a GM of the year kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure you'll say that Pierre Dorian will win, right? Uh, well, you know, it's, I think at the end of the day, you look at all three of these teams, they're in the conference finals right now. Like, all three of these GMs deserve to be in this position, in my opinion. I mean, you look, at, uh, <laughs> you look at Peter Shirelli, who made uh, this The Oilers aren't sign. in the conference finals. Huh? The Oilers aren't in the conference oh, finals. Oh, right. Okay. Well, they made it beyond the second round, all three of these teams. Okay, <laughs> yeah, my apologies. It. They were one win away from going to the conference finals. Yeah, so that's that's, 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 fair. that's, that's no word. That's Just have to correct you on these things, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm open to being corrected. You know, we we, we keep each other honest. I That's get it, fine. I get it. Yep. Yeah, Sorry, we should really on. come up with a you blew it segment, though. <laughs> yeah, Anyways, we should. Uh, so yeah, Edmonton very close to the conference finals. Uh, Pierre Shirelli, some of the moves he made were a big reason for that. One of them was getting Chris Russell at a bargain price. Yeah. Um, and he really, really, really became a huge valuable asset for them. Uh, for a guy who probably. He could have been a top four, top six guy. I think he's proven to be more than just that. And you look at Pierre Dorian getting Mike Condon for a fifth from Pittsburgh to yeah. uh, help cope with the loss of Craig Anderson for two-plus months. They're still able to be a good team and, and you know give credit to the coaching staff on their end. But the GM has to make these kind of moves. And then you look at uh, the interesting acquisitions of Burroughs and Stolberg at the deadline. That, 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 that takes some guts to pull off. And um, I, I definitely think the conversation – and then David Poyle, I mean, trading Shea Weber for P.K. Subban, a lot of people were just scratching their heads at that one-for-one. One. Uh, but it's really paid off for Nashville. So yeah. I, I think all three of these guys deserve to be uh, in this position. I think it's going to come down to Shirelli and Dorian, and obviously I hope Dorian wins. But yeah. uh, wow. honestly, it's a very tough race to call. Like uh, Honestly, think- either one of these three guys uh, are deserving to win. I think it actually. I think it's it's no brainer. It should be David Poyle um, because I I don't know. I feel like Shirelli, just the fact with the whole Taylor Hall thing, um, you know, it's I don't think he deserves credit for that. And the fact that you know McDavid, it's like you know this is a full season for McDavid. Um, I guess like I could see like just getting Condon and all that stuff, but. I don't know. I feel like uh, Nashville, like he's Poyle has set it up. He, you know, he got. I know it's last season with Ryan Johansson. He got Ryan Johansson that way. A couple of years ago, he got James Neal. Um, you know, the, the whole Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson deal, as I just mentioned. Uh, that whole like Jimmy VC problem that they had. Uh, just getting guys like Ryan Ellis, Roman Yossi in the draft. A couple of years ago, and now they're you know they're t- one of the top 
you know, defensive cores in the league. Victor Arvidsson, too. Victor Arvidsson, exactly. So, like, Philip Forsberg, uh, that thing. So I, I feel like David Poyle should deserve all this credit, whereas, like, you know, Peter Shirelli just lucked into it because it's not his fault that Connor McDavid is full-time healthy and is the best player in the league. Um, <laughs> Pierre Dorian, I, I mean... I, I understand, like, just getting my condon, but again, he's a backup goalie, you know, it's not like, and Alex Burroughs hasn't really helped that much um, for the Senators, and I think that was his only big trade deadline move. Oh, Victor Stahlberg, who has, a, who also hasn't helped that much, so, I don't know, I feel like it's a it's a no-brainer for Poyle, um, but we'll see. Uh, uh, I guess from the long-term standpoint, you're yeah. right, David Poyle should win, and I agree with you on that. Um... But yeah, I mean, I guess in a sense, if you're going for just this year, it's even still, I mean, you have the P.K. Subban deal. Yeah, I mean, it's still close, even if you just count this year, but we'll see. Uh, Speaking of Edmonton, Andre Sequeira is out six months. Uh, niece, he had, uh, it's a knee surgery, so he'll return in November. Um, this will probably have a impact on the Oilers. Uh, he's been pretty good, uh, actually. Uh, but, um, I wonder what this will do for the Oilers in terms of what their off-season moves will be like. Do you think they'll get, like, a Michael Delzato or one of those, um, I don't even know what other free agents are out yet. Let me check, but... Um, yeah, what, how do you think this will affect the Oilers? Um, well, um, yeah, I, I think you're right. Maybe they're open to getting in, you know, another veteran defenseman in free agency, but maybe not like a, a long-term thing, maybe just right. a short-term thing. Exactly. Um, it, I mean, it's it tough to say months. if it's going to be a season-defining injury, especially considering that torn ACL injuries, they're pretty tricky to get around. Yep. Um, but... I mean, you look at his playoff numbers, he only got three points, but he was fifth amongst Oilers defensemen in average time on ice, 21 minutes, 10 seconds. You look at the regular season, 80 games he played in, got 35 points, that's second highest amongst Oilers defensemen. He blocked 166 shots, that's second most on the team. Third highest shorthanded time on ice in the regular season as well. And the second highest shorthanded time on ice in the playoffs, he averaged three minutes and nine seconds per game. Um, and probably the only downside was his 95 giveaways, but other than that, this guy's been a stud on the back end, yep. and uh, to me, it's like a fantastic glue guy for this club, and sometimes when you lose one of those guys, then it really affects the entire team, but then again, I mean, you look at who they have, they have Adam Larson, who, did you know he's finished sixth in the league with 253 hits this year? Yeah, Which is crazy. something that I did not know. Um, Chris Russell, and then well. you look at uh, then you look at guys like Clefbaum, uh, who led Edmonton defenseman in regular season points with 38. He had five playoff points. Uh, Chris Russell led the league in block shots with yeah. 213. Like I said, when Giordano uh, went down for Calgary in 2014-2015, one of the guys that stepped up his role and really took his level uh, game level up a notch was Chris Russell, and he was a big reason why they made the playoffs without Giordano. Um, so I think they can, on the one hand, I think they can find a way to have success without Sakara, but he, I think, again, he's a guy who makes his team better with his presence. Yep. Um, I think you got less pressure on everyone else when he's in the lineup. Now that the pressure's on, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. 
Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, they still have guys like Clefbaum and Nurse. Um, yeah, who Nurse, are yes. Um, who are help- I, I don't know if Nurse was actually that great this year, but um, it's, you know, they have, it's like, you know, the young guns are kind of helping out now. But um, I'm yeah. just, so, I mean, I think they'll be okay, especially since he'll be back in November. So that's just two months that they have to deal with him out. But um, I'm just looking at these uh, UFA options here. Um, Mark, like, other than Shannon Kirk, there aren't really that many great defensemen on the free agent market right now. Um, Markov, uh, who's 38 years old. Dennis Wyman, who's 34 years old. Uh, Mark Street, who's 39 years old. Kulikov, Michael Stone, Michael Delzato, who I mentioned before. Oduya, Ladislaw Smid, uh, Skideri, Cody Franzen, T- Trevor Daly. I could go on and on on this. Uh, but it's, you know, Chris Russell as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if they can, whoever wants defensemen, um, you, I don't think you're going to get them in free agency, unless you're going for Kevin Shanker. Yeah. <laughs> and the Oilers don't need to go big or go home with one yeah. swing of the bat. They don't need like a, a, a saw the best defenseman out of that yeah. crop. They don't need a Kevin Shanker. I'm not necessarily sure, sure if Shanker even wants to go to Edmonton now. But, we could. Um, I, I, I think I think uh, at the end of the day, they just need someone to help fill the void. I think like a Michael Stone could help out with that, yeah. uh, perhaps uh, maybe a Michael Dosado. You're right about that. Uh, you know, just a short term signing. Like I said, I don't think they really need anything long term yeah. unless Peter Shirelli really thinks that's going to help the team. Yeah, maybe he'll get GM of the year that year. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the um, yeah, that's the uh, that's a good point. I mean. Obviously, he's two out. Uh, he he's gonna be back in November, so that's not that long considering it's just October and November. But um, well, yeah, it's it's six to nine months though, yeah. and 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 again with twenty seal injuries, those are tricky. So it could be longer than could November, longer. but I'm sure I'm sure uh, if if uh, you give Edmonton Oilers fans the option, they'll they'll gladly take November because true. anything longer than that, uh, then it might become more of a concern. True, true. I, I, I just got that it was six months, but it could be longer. Um, yeah. and also, I heard as many as I heard as many as nine months. So. And also, we'll they have um, Clefbaum as well, so they're they're okay. Who's yeah. you know who's turned into something? So we'll see. Uh, yeah. The Sharks signed Melker Carlson to a three-year, two million per year, and Jonas Donskoy, which is uh, for two years, one point nine million per year. Um, Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe are both UFAs on the outs. Uh, I don't think the Sharks have a ton left in their salary cap for either one of them. So it looks like they may be uh, gone um, or to free agency this year. Yeah, they have $14 million, um, in current cap space. So um, uh, unless... I, I could see, like, Thornton or Marlu getting, like, a pay cut. Like, they're trying to get, like, fourth, four million or something like that. But at the moment, um, they aren't uh, there yet. But um, what do you, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think this might be the last time um, we see Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe in a Sharks uniform. Which would be sad because I think Marlowe's been a shark his entire career. Um, mm-hmm. 
But uh, I could see like some like some teams like want like a veteran leadership guy like that. So like I could see like the Capitals, maybe the Flyers, the Blues, um, those teams that are on the verge of the Stanley Cup. Um, I could see those kind of teams um, maybe making a move for the uh, for these these veteran guys. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, a Melker Carlson. Like, uh, you're only you're only paying him. Um, I think probably like close to like two million per year. Um, yep. And Don Scoy, it's one point five million per year. So 1. it's 9. it's not like you're breaking the bank to get these guys. It's one point nine. Um, huh? One point nine, not one point five. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> I said one point uh, nine. Uh, I thought I said one point nine, but I could have said one point five. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, but again, oh. thank you for correcting me. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, Melker Carlson, like people don't realize, he finished tied for fifth on the team in goals, yep. only eleven goals, but still. Um, that's it shows how much depth this team really has offensively, uh, and he also provides stellar penalty killing. and And you look at Donskoy again, also a pretty glue uh, uh, glue guy. Um, doesn't have too much fancy upside, but you, uh, according to GM Doug Wilson, he battled through several injuries throughout the year, still playing a prominent role on this team. Those are the kind of guys you want to have. Those are character guys. But you would think they would keep Thornton and Marlowe before making these kind of signings. Um, so it raises the question if they're both on their way out. Well, they're on their way out if they don't take a pay cut, in my opinion. Because you look at Marlowe, he made $6.5 million last year, not scored 30 goals in a season over the last three. Uh, even then, he's been averaging 20 to 25 goals, 45 to 50 points in three straight years. 27 goals this year, the highest single-season total out of those three years. In his last 30 playoff games, he has 17 points, so he could be a solid depth guy, you're right, on a team that's on the cusp. Um, I'm just not sure if the Sharks are the right fit anymore. And it's the yeah. same with uh, a guy like Joe Thornton, who on July 2nd is going to be 38 years old, still putting up 50 to 60 points a season, but he only scored seven goals. Like yeah. You don't get pay a guy five, six, seven million dollars to score seven goals. Like that's There's just bleeding money there. And you also look at the guys that they're going to have to sign as well. Martin Jones, UFA next year. Mark Edward Vlasic, UFA after next year. San Jose needs to have as much money as they can to get their hands on to keep those guys off the open market in 2018. And for all the people who are saying, you know, well, Marlowe and Thorne have been a part of their core for so long. They're not their core now. You have guys like Pavelski. You have guys like Couture. You have guys like Brent Burns. Those are the guys you need to keep together now. And, yeah, it's probably going to be a short-term gain if you lose a Patrick Marlowe or if you lose a Joe Thornton. But the long-term pain is going to be, in my opinion, if you re-sign those guys to the same amount that you re-signed them to uh, a couple of years ago. So I really think at some point, one way or another, whether it's retirement, whether it's parting ways, they're going to – the reality is San Jose is going to have to deal without Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. And – I think probably it's going to happen now because you have guys like Kevin LeBanc, you have guys like Timo Meyer, you have guys like Barkley Goudreau, who's, by the way, an RFA on July 1st. And you also have guys like Chris Tierney who have made big steps this year. They have a lot of promising young guys, and I think um, the time for them to step up is now. Yeah, I forgot to mention that both Marlowe and Thornton are both 37 years old. 
Um, they may just retire if they feel like it, but you know they haven't gotten that cup yet. So I could yeah. see them. I could see them trying to sign with a team that's like just on the cups of getting that cup. So like maybe the Oilers or maybe uh, um, you know, but like not as much as they used to make. Um, just like a team that's um, that's close to winning. Um, and yeah, he goes to a, if they either of them go to a California rival, I wonder how their fans are going to react to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know if. I feel like the LA Kings are further away than people think they are, so I don't see them going there. You could, they could go to Anaheim, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. If if Boston was a, if if Boston made an offer to Joe Thornton and they got him back on on the Bruins, how? How would you feel about that? Um, I'd be okay with it, but I don't think that's going to happen because we have enough centers already. Um, but yeah. I'd be okay with and it, it if it's like probably have to be at the right. It would also yeah. have to be at the right price. Exactly. It would. It would depend on the price, um, and it would have to be like one of those things where, like, he has to know that he's not going to be a top line guy. If he's like, you know, if he's on our fourth line, yeah, of course I'd take it or third line. <laughs> Um, and, but, you know, we also have David Backus, uh, to deal with. So, um, we'd, we'd have to see, um, what's going to happen there, but yeah. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's go to the next thing. Uh, Golden Knights are affiliated with the Chicago Wolves as their new AHL team. They're going to split it with the, uh, St. Louis Blues. Uh, the Chicago Wolves are also the St. Louis Blues affiliate, so uh, I think this is go- this is probably going to be like a couple years until uh, the Golden Knights can fill a, a roster full of players um, on their AHL team. So uh, it should be interesting to see how they do this. I'm kind of it's kind of funny how the Chicago Wolves are located in Chicago and they're not affiliated with the Blackhawks at all. Um, and in, instead, they're affiliated with like one of their division rivals in St. Louis. But uh, um, but yeah, the uh, so the Las Vegas uh, Golden Knights are are one step closer to being an actual team. Um, yeah. What's also interesting is, it, like you said, multi-year agreement between the Golden Knights and the Wolves. Um, you wonder what um, the Blues are going to do because according to the St. Louis Dispatch, GM Doug Armstrong said this two-team joint system with Vegas would only be a short-term idea and probably nothing more because yep. he's just not comfortable of, of that going on for at least a year. So what what puzzles me against the location, I mean, if you look at the map of the U.S. and you think yep. about where the AHL teams are located these days, it's a fairly big trip from Nevada to Illinois, as you just pointed out. Yep. Um, and... What I'm also wondering is, and of course there are probably logistical reasons, maybe financial reasons, or maybe they just don't want to change leagues, but you have Portland, Oregon closer to Vegas. They have an established WHL fan base with the Winterhawks. It's been established. It goes back way, way back for like decades we're talking. And and they're a very passionate fan base. There's a winning culture there. I'm curious as to why that option wasn't considered more. Um, Maybe for the Blues, they get an AHL team in the same city down the road because Winnipeg... That, that's where their initial uh, base is located. In fact, they play in the same building, San Jose Barracuda, same deal. So this brand-new idea, it, it might not be a brand-new idea, but I think it's something that maybe St. Louis should consider because uh, you're right. Uh, if, if uh, For what's more convenient for them, 
what's more convenient than having uh, your AHL team in the same city as your own NHL team? Yeah, I think it also has to do with just the fact that they literally don't have a lot of players on their team. Um, or any players on their team. So I, I would assume in a couple of years they'll get their own team and then they'll move closer to uh, Las Vegas. Um, but at the moment, you know, they're two time zones away. Um, it's kind of, it's a weird thing, but so I guess it's okay if at the moment to split with St. Louis um, because, you know, St. I guess... There's probably going to be more, still more St. Louis Blues prospects on that team um, when all said is done, but um, we'll see. Uh, I think the equipment trainer for Las Vegas is going to be a very happy man because yep. um, if your goalie gets injured mid-game, you yeah. can't really pick up the phone and say, hey, come down here as quick as you can. We need you. Yeah, you so have the, to wait they're probably going to have equipment manager on standby. They're just like, okay, our goalie got hurt. Get your gear on. Get on the bench. <laughs> Yeah, so good. I'm sure I'm sure their equipment manager is gonna have a pretty sweet couple of years because he might be called upon. Yep. Um, speaking of locations and stuff like that, uh, Memorial Cup. This is uh, you were telling me off the air that this is the first time since like '97 that there. 2007. Oh, 2007. Actually, uh, that still a long while. There was there's two U.S. Uh, based teams in the Memorial Cup, um, which is kind of cool. So. Uh, I'll let you t- uh, take this because you know these leagues more than I do. So this year's tournament's being played in Windsor, Ontario. So the Windsor Spitfires are going to be the hosts. We'll start off with them. You have Sens prospect Logan Brown taking part. Uh, goalie prospect Michael DiPietro also taking part. I think first round, late first round, early second round pick potentially. Uh, this guy's got a lot of upside. Uh, the one guy you should be really focused on is Gabe Bullardi. A uh, 17-year-old from Kingston, Ontario. He led the Spitfires in scoring with 29 goals and 61 points, despite missing time due to injury. This is a guy who's getting pegged as a top-five pick in the upcoming draft, so this is a big chance in the here and now to show That's everyone exciting. what he can do. And while they didn't make it past the Knights in round one, Windsor Spitfires had them in a 3-1 to hole, and they're very well rested, so I wouldn't sleep on these guys at all. Uh, taking a look at the Erie Otters, who won the OHL title. This team's probably, from top to bottom, the most balanced of the four teams, uh, and their offense is probably the toughest to contain. I mean, you have a, a guys like Anthony Sorelli. He got the Memorial Cup winning goal in 2015. Taylor Radish, who just inked his entry-level deal. Both of those guys are Tampa Bay prospects. Uh, Coyotes prospect Dylan Strom also taking part. But the big guy that I'm looking forward to seeing is Blackhawks prospect Alex Dabrinkit. He scored 50-plus goals in three straight seasons, 100-plus points in three straight seasons. This year he had 65 goals in 63 games in the OHL. That's a goal per game. And he finished the regular season with 127 points because why not? I mean, you can't get over a goal per game. You might as well get over a point per game. Um, in the playoffs, he also got uh, 38 points, 13 of them goals in just 22 games. So he hasn't slowed down one bit. Uh, you also look at their coaching staff. This team's very well coached. Uh, from an execution standpoint, it's probably the best in the tournament. Their passes are crisp. The way they move the puck is very well done. And above all, they've been battle-tested. Because in, in the OHL's Western Conference, you had not one, not two, not three, but four teams, one of them being Erie, 
ranked in the CHL's top 10 at season's end. And when we're talking CHL, we're talking all three of these leagues put together. And there were four teams in that conference that were in the top 10. And so they've had to play the best of the best all year long. They beat the defending Memorial Cup champions, the London Knights, in overtime in Game 7 in Round 2. Easily my favorites to win this tournament. Uh, looking at the St. John Sea Dogs, they won the QMJHL this year, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, the centerpiece of this team is Sens prospect Thomas Shabbat. Uh, at some point, a young Joey Valeno is going to change that because a few years ago, he became the first player in the queue to be granted exceptional status and uh, just the third player in CHL history, the others being Tavares and McDavid. Mm-hmm. Um, while this progression has been slow and he's had to deal with a few injuries, I think this is really a good chance to shine for him and to show what he can do. Uh, he had 13 goals in 45 regular season games. But in 18 postseason games, he added eight goals. Uh, as a team, he hasn't been to this tournament since 2011 when they won it all. At, uh, and uh, back then they had guys like Jonathan Huberto, guys like Nathan Bolio on the team, and, and uh, also Gerard Gallant behind the bench. So it's been a while since the Sea Dogs have made it, but they're here now, and they're looking to make the most of it, as are the Seattle Thunderbirds, because as uh, Brett just mentioned, last time the Memorial Cup had two American teams taking part, that was back in 2007 when the OHL's Plymouth Whalers and the QMJHL's Lewis Maniacs had the honors of being there. If I'm not mistaken, uh, the goalies for the uh, Maniacs and the Whalers, Michael Neuverth was the starter for uh, Plymouth, and uh, Jonathan Burney was the starter for Lewiston. Uh, both franchises, by the way, have since relocated. So uh, hopefully that's not the same <laughs> with Erie and Seattle down the road. But um, as far as Seattle goes, um, Matt Barzell, Islanders' first-round pick, he's on the team. Uh, former NHLer Steve Connor-Walchuk, believe it or not, is the coach of the Seattle Thunderbirds, which I didn't know. Um, in goal, however, probably a guy you haven't heard of before. Uh, labeled as the goalie of the future for the Thunderbirds, his name is Carl Stankowski. Only had five WHL starts as a rookie under his belt before he had to come in for starter Ryland Toth late in the regular season. 16 wins and a league title later. Here he is. By the way, he's 17 years old. He weighs 163 pounds, and he's only five foot nine. So a pretty interesting uh, player to watch uh, as we head into things. Already two games have been played as we're talking. Uh, Windsor beat St. John 3-2 in the opener on Friday. Erie toppled Seattle 4-2 in the second game. Um, as far as spoiler goes, I think Windsor could do it. Um, but I, I really don't feel confident that anyone can outmatch the Oilers besides Winter. If anyone can outlast Erie, it's probably the Spitfires. But um, like as I said before, the Erie Otters are my favorite to win. As a as a Bruins fans, I get uh, I get uh, nightmares when you talk about Matthew Barzell and Alex DeBrincat because those are guys that the Bruins could have taken in the draft, but they didn't. <laughs> um, so. We'll see. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to go to the uh, another championship, World Hockey Championship, that's going on at, the, at this time as well. Uh, Sweden and Canada are in the finals for the World Hockey Championship. Uh, they play tonight, I believe, so, we'll, uh, so you'll know more than we do at this moment. 
I think Steve just left us. I'm not sure what's no, going on. No, I'm. Oh, I think here. I'm here. Okay, <laughs> you're, you're here. Yes. No, I was just letting you rant for a bit. <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. Um, the uh, I just found out that Russia won the bronze medal game, a uh, five to three against Finland. Uh, Finland made it in. Um, you were you weren't sure that Finland was. Uh, you were worried about Finland, but they made it in. Uh, they beat USA. Um, in the semifinals, but yeah, so Russia got the bronze, Canada and Sweden will play soon, um, which is interesting, also, uh, there's some players that have been pretty good, Artemi Panarin, um, had 17 points in this game, in nine games, uh, Kucherov had 15 points in these 10 games, Willie Nylander, 14 points, um, some guys we haven't even heard of, like Nikita Kusev, uh, from Russia, um, Shipachev, the Vegas, uh, guy, um, is also doing pretty well too. So, uh, Stephanie DaCosta from France, as you were going to mention, I think. He was a sense prospect once yeah. upon a time. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, Johnny Goudreau has been pretty good. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, I don't know anything you have on the on these uh, games, whether it's players that have been doing well, or uh, yeah. just a preview of the Canada Sweden game. Well, uh, Canada barely sweeped by Germany in the quarters. They beat them two to one. They outshot the Germans twenty to one in the second period and yep. fifty to twenty in the game. Um, so they certainly have the firepower to hang with the best. They got Russia in the semis. Uh, as you mentioned, the Russia, the Russians had three top five scorers on their roster. Uh, one of them was Artemi Panarin, who led the tournament in scoring. Uh, they were down 2 nothing at the start of the third, and that's when the Canadians started to turn the tables. A power play goal from Shifley less than a minute into the third. Then they get three, three goals in the final four minutes and 53 seconds to take the semifinals. You look at the team they had last year with all the guys that they don't have this year. Sidney Crosby's not there this year. Mike Smith isn't there. Backham came Talbot. Neither of those guys are there. You have Chad Johnson and Calvin Pickard as your two goalies, and yet you're still in the finals. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. With all the talent that you have, that's pretty scary. Yeah. So um, kudos to Team Canada there. What also caught my eye is the US, Team USA, Dylan Larkin getting 10 points, Clayton Keller getting five goals. Johnny Goudreau being their top scorer. They somehow get shut up by Finland, who, yep. have, who have been inconsistent. They bench Pugliarvi for the tournament finale against Canada. Uh, I, I'm just puzzled as to what went wrong for the Americans there. Uh, also, we talked about Stéphane DaCosta of France, as well as his teammate Antoine Roussel. They finished in a tie for second place with six goals. Both of them played on France. The rest of France as a team got 11 goals. Those guys combined for 12. And France wow. didn't make it to the quarters. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it was in France. But, yeah, it's, it's it's I mean, on the same side, it's like, it's nice for France to uh, actually, you know, show, like, show up, you know, because they, they aren't really a big powerhouse um, yeah, no, they're far so. from a powerhouse. Yeah, but they got some good yeah. guys on their team. Well, yeah, even uh, far from a powerhouse, but yeah, it's like it's uh, it shows how like the growth of hockey is growing. Um, I don't yeah. know what the word is there, but um, <laughs> it, it, the growth of hockey is increasing. I should say, um, just worldwide. So yeah, and that, that that's it's like good that France uh, is doing well there, although they didn't 
make it that far, but it's it's nice to see that, I guess. Um, as for Sweden and Canada, I, I was just, you're right, like Calvin Pickard and uh, um, Chad, Johnson. Chad Johnson as the goalies. It's kind of impressive that Canada can still do it, um, as opposed to Sweden that has uh, Henrik Lundqvist um, in net. So I... I'm going to be rooting for Sweden in this uh, just because I want to see Lundqvist win something, um, even though it's... Hey, he's got Olympic gold. He's got enough. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's like I, I want to see him win something even more than that. I want to see him win this uh, World Hockey Championship. That's true. He does have an Olympic um, gold, but um, we'll see. Um, also, uh, Sweden has Landeskog, um, Backstrom, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, uh, Hedman as well, so... Um, they're doing pretty well there. Um, it's kind of funny how like all the Colorado Avalanche are finally performing. Nathan McKinnon's doing pretty well. Calvin McCard, as we just mentioned, so it's it's kind of funny in that sense. Um, because they're not playing on the Avs right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's just like oh we we're not used to this winning. What's this winning thing? <laughs> um, social media stuff. Uh, you can. Uh, follow us at Lace Them Up, no, Lace Them Podcasts on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us on, like us on Facebook at Lace Them Up. Um, you can also email us any questions, uh, mailer questions or, you know, feedback at laceupbag at gmail.com. Uh, you're probably listening to this on SoundCloud, um, at Lace Them Up. Just, just look that up there. Um, or iTunes, uh, subscribe to us there and rate us um, as well. Um, and also, we're on fan tracks again, so uh, that's exciting. Um, I think that's it in terms of hockey news. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 78, where we'll know who's probably going to be facing the Stanley Cup Finals. We'll talk to you then on the Lace Them Up podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Go Sets. Go Celtics.